Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, the Monet painting of Harry Potter podcasts. Well, if you're the Monet painting, what does that make me? Obviously, that makes you Ellen, the Monet painter. Oh. Because, you know, you take the dotty mess that is everything I bring to the table and you make it into something super pretty. Well, thanks. And I'm having a hard time not giggling about you calling yourself a dotty mess. I mean, <laughs> call him like I see him. That's what I do. Yeah. But let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 15, the Quidditch final, and the fact that it didn't really have any corresponding film scenes. Hermione served up a supersized smackdown with a hefty side dish of sass to anyone who deserves it. Ron finally pulled his head out of his ass and realized that the loss of a crummy pet doesn't equate to the loss of your future wife. Trelawney lucked out with one of her ambiguous predictions coming true, though not in the way she may have intended. Olive Herwood became a broken record calling into question Harry's ability to math. The flat tire Slytherin sass game was sorely lacking, but their cheating game was right on point. Lee Jordan's potty mouth got him in trouble until McGonagall found she had a few choice phrases of her own. But all this paled in comparison to the Gryffindors finally scratching that seven-year itch and bringing the Quidditch championship home with a roar. During episode 54, Sass Leak, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on why they may have decided to leave out Quidditch the way that they did? Dave pointed out that other than a few instances, Quidditch wasn't necessary to advance the plot. It's just for entertainment, and they did that by things like singing frogs and drunken heads. Quincy guesses that it's expensive to film such scenes, but still, he misses it. Diana agrees with him, saying that the CGI cost would have been exorbitant, to say the least, which is probably why we don't have peeves either. Yeah, probably. Carly understands that it was expensive to film those scenes, yeah. but says it was such an important part to Harry, like how his relationship with Jenny grew, how he became more confident, how he was bloody Quidditch captain. But okay. Cut it out. That's cool. Max says that Quidditch is honestly just predictable. Harry sees Snitch, Harry catches Snitch, occasionally Harry's life is threatened. I mean, you could argue that's the sum up for the whole story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Robert thought that it really wasn't plot-driven to add Quidditch, and even though they leave out most of the Marauder's story, it leaves space in for convenience. Then he said, I mean the time-turner. <laughs> Jackson thinks that Curon most likely didn't think it relevant to the story. He also wonders what it is with the Quidditch hate. Which I think was mostly just Dave trolling, because he said, sports ball, sports snitch is boring. <laughs> Juliana also finds sports ball to be boring and calls for more magical arts education. Well, she is a music teacher, and as a visual arts teacher, I'm inclined to agree. More magical arts education. I have no issue with that. <laughs> She also agrees that she thinks it was too expensive to do all the Quidditch scenes, though. Which makes sense. Thanks for all your input. Our trivia question last week was, what book of Hermione's does Ron say he borrowed for a bit of bedtime reading? Hermione is looking for her copy of Numerology and Grammatica. 
I mean, that does sound quite snoozeworthy. You're also extremely skilled when it comes to falling asleep mid-reading. It is one of my many talents. But congratulations goes to Adele Hoover, a first-time winner. Woohoo! Congratulations, Adele! We also want to give a shout-out to Mike Riley, who was literally only one minute behind her with the correct answer. Yeah, it was really close. Mm-hmm. And it's so awesome seeing new names pop up on the trivia post. I can't wait to see who wins this week. Me too! For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's prediction, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's prediction. It has been a week since Harry won the Quidditch Cup. His spirits are still high and the weather is beginning to match his mood. Harry and the other students want to spend their days out of doors, playing games and drinking iced pumpkin juice, but they're trapped inside the castle, forcing themselves to study for the impending exams. Fred and George are seen preparing for their OWLs, Percy is edgy while getting ready for his NEWTs, and Hermione is somehow the most anxious student in the Gryffindor Tower. Harry and Ron have given up asking her how she's managing to take so many classes until they find her exam schedule, which has her in two places at one time, more than once. Hermione tells the boys there's no point in asking how she's planning on taking multiple exams at the same time, and while she is searching for one of her many books, Hedwig arrives with a letter from Hagrid with the information on Buckbeak's appeal. The date is set for the final day of the exams and is to take place at Hogwarts. As though the committee has already decided, a member of the ministry is to come, along with an executioner. Ron is upset because of all the time he spent reading to help Hagrid with the appeal, and Harry feels sure the committee for the disposal of dangerous creatures had their minds made up for them by Lucius Malfoy. The slight humbling that Draco seemed to have after his Quidditch final defeat seems to fade as he's overheard saying he's sure Buckbeak is going to be killed, seeming smug and thinking that he's been the reason for the execution. Harry wants to do a Hermione impression by hitting Malfoy and is upset that he, Ron, and Hermione are unable to visit Hagrid because of the new strict security. Plus, he still has not been able to recover his invisibility cloak from the One-Eyed Witch statue. When exams begin, the atmosphere in the castle is eerily subdued. Hermione is worried that the teapot she was supposed to transfigure into a tortoise was more of a turtle, and Harry's overly enthusiastic cheering charm gets Ron put in a quiet room. The care of magical creatures exam is the easiest to pass by leaving the flobber worms to their own devices, so Harry, Ron, and Hermione finally have the chance to speak with Hagrid. He thinks Buckbeak has been cooped up too long and is getting depressed. Harry is sure his potions exam has been a failure, and he uses the information on medieval witch hunts he learned from Florian Fortescue for his history of magic exam. Professor Lupin sets up an outdoor defense against the dark arts obstacle course, consisting of Grindelow, Redcaps, Hinky Punks, and of course, a Boggart. Harry finishes with top marks, Ron is misled by his Hinky Punk, and Hermione fails to transform her Boggart, which had turned into Professor McGonagall telling her she failed every exam. After Hermione is calmed down, the trio heads back to the castle when they run into Cornelius Fudge. He remarks on the lovely weather, but reluctantly. Fudge tells him that he's there acting as a witness for the execution of a mad hippogriff since he needed to check on the serious black situation anyway. Ron asks about the appeal and says that Fudge might not have to witness an execution if the hippogriff wins the appeal. A very old, stooped wizard and a much younger tall wizard with a dark mustache approach the group and Harry guesses that they are the representatives for the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures, 
when he sees the younger man is carrying a shining axe in his belt. Hermione stops Ron from saying anything to the dark man and leads Harry and him into the Great Hall for lunch. Ron is angry Hermione stopped him, but she explains that he can't go saying things in anger to Mr. Weasley's boss, and that as long as Hagrid keeps his head about him, they can't possibly execute Buckbeak. The three are lost in worry while the rest of the students are excitedly anticipating the end of exams. Hermione leaves for her final exam, Muggle Studies, and Ron and Harry make their way to divination for theirs. Neville informs them that Professor Trelawney is seeing everyone individually, and while most students were using the time in line to study, Ron and Harry remain distracted by Buckbeak's impending appeal. Neville is told he will have a horrible accident if he reveals anything to the waiting students, and Parvati says she has the makings of a true seer. Ron leaves his exam disheartened after being unable to see anything, and doubtful Professor Trelawney was convinced by the things he made up. He leaves for the common room and Harry, the final student, makes his way up the ladder into the hot, heavily perfumed tower for his exam. He sits at a table with a crystal ball and is told to gaze into the orb and reveal what he sees. When he's unable to see anything but swirling white fog, he decides to do the same as Ron and make some things up, and says he sees a dark shape. When asked what it resembles, Harry thinks of Buckbeak and says a hippogriff. Professor Trelawney exclaims that Harry could be seeing the outcome of Hagrid's trouble with the Ministry, and asks if the hippogriff appears to have its head. Harry says a firm yes, and his professor continues to ask if there are images that would mean Buckbeak's appeal had failed. Harry responds no to all of these, and feeling slightly sick is told the exam is over, even if a bit disappointing. When Harry gets up to leave the classroom, a loud voice coming from Professor Trelawney delivers the message that the Dark Lord will rise again, and his faithful servant will set out to rejoin his master before midnight. Harry asks her what she meant, and she has no recollection of what she just said. Harry returns to an almost empty common room, wondering about the message, and finds Ron and Hermione with a note telling them they lost. Buckbeak is to be executed at sunset, and they are not to come. Harry wishes that he had his invisibility cloak, and Hermione shocks Ron with her rebellion again when she retrieves it from the one-eyed witch. After dinner, the three make their way unseen to Hagrid's cabin, where the great man seems more helpless than hopeless. Harry asks if Dumbledore could do anything, and Hagrid tells him Dumbledore already tried. The executioner is a friend of Lucius Malfoy's, and the committee was probably threatened into the sentence by Malfoy. While Hagrid scolds them for coming and tells them they need to go back to the castle, Hermione finds Scabbers, looking more haggard than ever. Dumbledore, Cornelius Fudge, and the committee member and the executioner come towards Hagrid's cabin and Ron, Harry, and Hermione are led through the back door where they see Buckbeak in the pumpkin patch. While trying to leave, Scabbers begins squirming and squealing, trying to escape Ron's grasp, worrying Ron that they might be heard. But even over the sounds of Scabbers and Ron's struggle, the thud of an axe can be heard. The movie section begins as the third-year students are leaving the divination class that Hermione had just walked out of. As Harry and Ron are walking down the stairs, Ron is going on about how Hermione has gone mental. Harry notices the crystal ball she knocked off the table and picks it up, saying they better take it back. Ron refuses to go back, so Harry says fine and heads back up the stairs by himself, telling Ron he'll see him later. He re-enters the apparently empty divination classroom and looks around. Not seeing Professor Trelawney, Harry sets the crystal ball on the table and notices an image inside it. He looks closer and sees Sirius Black's face, whispering his name. As Harry is staring at the crystal ball, a hand startles him by grabbing his shoulder from behind. He turns and sees Professor Trelawney, who gasps and speaks in a raspy, echoey voice, saying he will return tonight. Harry says, I'm sorry, 
and Trelawney continues to hold on to his shoulder and speak in that eerie voice. Tonight, he who betrayed his friends, whose heart rots with murder, shall break free. Innocent blood shall be spilt, and servant and master shall be reunited once more. She trails off while saying more, and releases Harry's shoulder as she begins to cough. She appears to notice Harry for the first time and apologizes to him, asking if he said something. Harry says no, nothing, and quickly and nervously walks away from her before running out the door and down the stairs once more, as the camera switches to an aerial view of the large spiral staircase and fades to black. The scene reopens on some crows at a man's feet and the sound of metal sharpening. It cuts to Harry, Ron, and Hermione walking through the courtyard, watching the executioner sharpening his axe. Hermione glares at him as he watches them walk by, and the camera cuts to the trio crossing the covered bridge. As they exit the bridge, Hermione says that she can't believe they are going to kill Buckbeak. It's just too horrible. And Ron says that it just got worse, as they see Malfoy Crab and the other Slytherin boy hiding behind a rock to watch Buckbeak's execution. Hermione is furious and marches out to them, with Harry and Ron trailing behind her. Malfoy turns and sees them, saying, Oh, look who's come to see the show! She calls him a foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach and points her wand right at Malfoy's chin. As Malfoy snivels, Ron tells Hermione that he's not worth it, and she lowers her wand and starts to walk away. Malfoy and his goons start laughing, and she turns back around and punches him right in the face. The three Slytherins run off as Hermione says, that felt good. Harry is grinning, and Ron calls it brilliant. The three of them walk down the stone steps that lead down to Hagrid's hut and pass Buckbeak lying down in Hagrid's pumpkin patch. The camera cuts to Hagrid and Harry looking out at the hippogriff from a window in Hagrid's hut, as Hagrid comments on how Buckbeak loves the smell of the trees as the wind blows through them. Harry wonders why they don't just set him free, but Hagrid says they would know it was him and Dumbledore would get in trouble. He tells Harry that Dumbledore is coming down to be with him when it happens, and calls him a great man. The shot transitions to inside the hut where Ron and Hermione are sitting at Hagrid's table. Hermione stands up and says that they will stay with him too, but Hagrid refuses, saying he doesn't want them to see something like that. He tells them to finish their tea and be off, but before they do, he says Ron's name and walks over to a tin on a shelf. He lifts the lid and picks up Scabbers. Ron is surprised to see that he's alive, and Hagrid tells him to keep a closer eye on his pets. Hermione steps towards Ron and glares, saying she thinks he owes someone an apology. Ron says that the next time he sees Crookshanks, he'll let him know. Hermione responds that she means her, but before they can argue any more, a ceramic jar on Hagrid's table breaks. Hermione finds a rock with a small spiral pattern on it that must have come through the window and hit it, just as a second rock hits Harry in the head. He looks out the window and sees the minister, Dumbledore, and the executioner coming down the path. Hagrid says that it's nearly dark and they shouldn't be there. He sends them out the back door and he throws a blanket over a creature in his hut. Harry pauses and Hagrid says he'll be fine and waves him out. The trio runs out the back, through the pumpkin patch, and hides behind a large stack of pumpkins. They watch as the minister reads the official document about Buckbeak's execution, and Hermione hears something in the woods behind her. She turns to look and Harry asks her what's wrong. She starts to say she thought she saw something, but says never mind. Ron says let's go, and the three run back up the stone steps. They get back up by the large rocks outside the covered bridge and stop to watch. The executioner raises his axe and walks towards the pumpkin patch. The camera focuses on Harry, Ron, and Hermione, then shows the executioner lifting the axe to swing before cutting to a wide shot of the grounds around Hagrid's hut 
as the axe thuds and the crows fly away. It cuts back to the trio as Hermione buries her face in Ron's shoulder and puts her arms around his neck, and Harry hugs her. The book and movie sections actually correspond pretty well here. There are some differences, omissions, streamlining, and something that happened in a different order, but overall there's a lot more for Katie to talk about than last week, Mm -hmm. and a lot more for us to compare and contrast. Yeah, the biggest difference is the way they streamlined Hermione quitting divination right into Trelawney's prediction. Yeah, it was actually a really well-executed streamline, Mm -hmm. but it completely omitted the final exams. The book chapter starts out saying that Harry's euphoria of winning the Quidditch Cup lasted at least a week, and even the weather seemed to be celebrating. It was approaching June, and the days became cloudless and sultry. All anyone wanted to do was stroll the grounds and sit in the grass drinking iced pumpkin juice. I never realized that Hogwarts students were such basic witches. (laughs) Like, even they enjoy their iced pumpkin drinks and fuzzy scarves. They really are. (laughs) But they also don't get to enjoy their pumpkin drinks. Because with exams coming up, all they have time to do is study. Even Fred and George are spotted working. Percy is preparing to take his NEWTs. Side note, I love that NEWT stands for Nastily Exhausting Wizarding Test. Yeah, it's perfect. So perfect. (laughs) Because they sound nasty and exhausting. Mm -hmm. And they're wizarding tests. Look at that. Fits. (laughs) But since he wants to enter the ministry, he needs top marks. The stress is making him quite edgy, and he starts giving out severe punishments to anyone who's disturbing the quiet of the common room. The only person that seems more anxious than Percy is Hermione. And this can't be included in the film, partially since they completely omit the exams, and also because, as we've mentioned before, Hermione never really loses her shit over the workload. Yeah. Ron and Harry have given up asking how she was attending all her classes, but they couldn't resist asking again once they saw her exam schedule, which showed multiple exams at the same time. She still won't tell them and changes the subject, asking if either of them have seen her copy of Numerology and Grammatica. Ron very quietly says he borrowed it for a bit of bedtime reading. Which was our trivia question. Yep. But then the subject was changed when Hedwig showed up with a letter from Hagrid about Buckbeak's appeal. It's set for June 6, which is the day they finish their exams. This is a little different from the movie, since they never mentioned an appeal at all. It's just the execution. I mean, considering that the executioner is showing up at the appeal, it's basically just the execution, too. And the appeal part is a formality. Right. Which upsets Ron because he spent ages reading up stuff for the appeal. And there goes his personal growth. (laughs) Instead of being upset about the possibility of Buckbeak unfairly being killed, he's upset that all the work he did was likely in vain. I mean, at the end of the day, he is still Ron. Mm-hmm. Harry figures that the committee has had its mind made up for by Nazi von Douchebag I, and finds himself wanting to imitate Hermione and give Nazi von Douchebag II a good smack, since he's been bragging about bringing on the execution of Buckbeak. Plus, the security measures are still in place, so they can't visit Hagrid and he can't retrieve his cloak. Both of those Von douches could sure use a good smack. What dicks! Right? But then, exams officially start and the castle gets eerily quiet. After their first exam, Hermione annoys everyone by fretting that her teapot tortoise transfiguration turned technically more turtle. Nice alliteration. That one was actually Diana's doing. Hmm, well done, Diana. 
During their charms exams, Harry slightly overdid his cheering charm and Ron ended up in a fit of hysterical laughter and had to be led away to a quiet room for an hour before he was able to perform his charm. I mean, I get why this wasn't included, but I would absolutely love to have seen that come alive. I think Rupert Grimp would have just nailed that scene. Oh, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Care of Magical Creatures was their easiest exam because they just had to keep flobberworms alive for the whole hour, and they were able to just completely ignore them and talk to Hagrid instead. <laughs> Why do I feel like Neville would still somehow accidentally smash his flobberworm or something? Because it's always him, poor Neville. Aw, poor Echo Neville. Potions did not go well because Harry couldn't get his confusing concoction to thicken. They also had astronomy, history of magic, and herbology. Their second-to-last exam was Defense Against the Dark Arts, and Lupin had compiled a sort of obstacle course as their exam. I think this would have been a pretty cool exam to take. Way better than History of Magic or anything with Snape billowing over you. Oh yeah, me too. Harry gets full marks, and Hermione does everything perfectly until she gets to the Bogart. It turns into Professor McGonagall telling her she failed everything and she runs away, screaming. <laughs> Scracks me up. <laughs> because when she didn't get a chance with the Boggart the first time around, Ron asked her if it would be a piece of homework that she only got 9 out of 10 on. Like, this is a little more extreme than that, but basically the same thing, really. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense for Hermione, too. After mm -hmm. all, getting expelled is worse than dying. Yeah, data tracks. Before their last exam, they run into the Minister of Magic, who is at Hogwarts to check on the Black situation, and to be a witness for the execution of a mad hippogriff. Ron asks if the appeal has already happened, and Fudge tells him that it's scheduled for the afternoon. Ron insists that the hippogriff might get off and wants to say more, but Hermione stops him, since he shouldn't be talking to his dad's boss like that. I'm with Ron, though. It isn't justice to show up with an executioner at an appeal. No, not in the least. Come on. Pretty shitty. Mm. Their very last exam is divination. Harry and Ron head to the seventh floor and are informed by Neville that she's seeing them all individually. After Neville takes his turn, he also tells them that the crystal ball told Trelawney that if he tells them about the exam, he'll have a horrible accident. Well, isn't that just convenient? Right? <laughs> Imagine that. Ron takes his turn and tells Harry that he just made some stuff up. Then Harry is the last person to go. He heads up to the classroom and joins Professor Trelawney at a table with a crystal ball. She asks him to gaze into it and tell her what he sees. Harry looks into the crystal ball and sees nothing at all, so he makes something up too, saying he sees a dark shape. He says it resembles a hippogriff. Trelawney wonders if it appears to still have its head, and Harry very firmly says, yes. She asks if he's sure, and Harry insists that it's fine and flying away. She ends the exam there, saying she's sure he did his best, but before Harry can leave, he hears a loud, harsh voice say, It will happen tonight. This is where the movie finally comes in, except it's not divination exams. It's just a continuation of the divination class that Hermione walked out of. Harry and Ron are heading down the stairs after class, and Harry sees the crystal ball Hermione knocked off the table. How did that crystal ball not crack, or at the very least scratch, though? Right? It's, it was perfect. There was nothing wrong. It was It's made of glass. It should be broken. Sure, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, also, how in the hell did it stop where it did? That castle is 95% stairs. That shit shouldn't have stopped until it got to the Great Hall, for fuck's sake. But somehow it just randomly stops in the middle of the staircase. Magic? I guess. Also... 
I love the spiral staircase, but I can't imagine climbing all those stairs on a nearly daily basis. Oh, dear God. Like, I'd have to keep a spare set of robes at the top to change into because I would be a sweaty-ass mess by the time I got there. Honestly, that's probably the real reason why Trelawney never joins them for meals. <laughs> fuck those stairs. I'll just blame my inner eye. Yeah, fuck those stairs indeed. I don't blame Ron at all for not wanting to go back up there. That's a lot of goddamn stairs. Like, I'd never make it. Maybe I could, like, Wingardium Leviosa my way up the stairs. I could see you making it to the top once and then just saying, and this is where I live now. <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's true, and that's exactly what I would say. <laughs> but Harry goes by himself back up all those stairs to take the crystal ball back to Trelawney. Either because he's a nice kid... Or because the plot dictated he needed to end up one-on-one -on -one with that professor. A little of both, I'd say. Hmm? Harry doesn't see Trelawney anywhere, so he sets the crystal ball down on the table, and then he sees something in it. He looks closer and sees crazy Gary Oldman in the crystal ball. As he's looking closer, a hand grabs him on the shoulder and says, It will happen tonight! So now the book and the movie are actually lining up for the time being. Mm-hmm. However, there were some other changes to this scene as well. In the book, after Trelawney's loud, harsh, it will happen tonight, her eyes start to roll and she continues to speak in that voice, saying, The Dark Lord lies alone and friendless, abandoned by his followers. His servant has been chained these twelve years. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will break free and set out to rejoin his master. The Dark Lord will rise again with his servant's aid greater and more terrible than ever he was. Tonight before midnight, the servant will set out to rejoin his master. Yeah, the movie gets a similar gist across, but it's a bit different. She says, Tonight, he who betrayed his friends whose heart rots with murder shall break free. Innocent blood shall be spilt, and servant and master shall be reunited once more. You have a lot more dedication than I do. <laughs> I wasn't going to try and do a loud, harsh voice. I go for it. But both get the point across that someone will break free and rejoin his master. The book is very clear that master means the Dark Lord. But it also includes the details of the servant being chained for 12 years, which totally makes it sound like it's referring to Sirius, who was in Azkaban for 12 years. wonder if they planned it that way. I wonder. Hmm. <laughs> but I love this part of it, and I really wish the movie had included it. I do, too. It did a decent job of alluding to that in the movie, too, but not nearly with the detail that right. you kind of had. Because there's the chained up for 12 years thing. Mm -hmm. You didn't have that in the movie. Not at all. And I gotta say, I forever thought that she said he who betrayed his friends at Hogwarts with murder. <laughs> and I honestly didn't know that she said whose heart rots with murder until recently watching it with the subtitles. It's very sad. Yeah, I always understood what she meant, but was never quite sure of what she was saying, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. In the book, after she finished speaking, her head just dropped to her chest and then it snapped up again like she was waking up. Harry's just staring dumbfounded at her, and she asks if anything's wrong. <laughs> what could possibly be wrong after witnessing that? What? Nothing at all. Harry tells her that she just told him the Dark Lord was going to rise again, and she thinks that he just dozed off. She claims that she would never presume to predict anything as far-fetched as that. Because, of course, that's where she draws the line of far-fetched. Right. <laughs> But predicting a child's death is totally okay. Yeah, Nothing weird about that. No, not at all. 
No line crossing there anywhere. <laughs> but that's not how it happened in the movie. <laughs> I know you're shocked. What? <laughs> she just sort of creepily trails off as she says, and then coughs. And I love that her prediction looks more like she has a hairball. <laughs> it's funny, but it always bothered me because it was nothing like what happened in the book. I loved the drama of the moment, and I feel like that sort of slapstick in the film took away from it. I see your point, and I get it. But I still kind of go back to the fact that this was the Crossroads movie. Since it was starting to get dark, but still a children's movie, really. Like, I feel like the slapstick was there to lighten it up and not freak out the kids quite so much. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, too. Yeah. But in the movie, Trelawney seems to notice Harry for the first time and asks if he said something. Harry just says no and bolts, so there's no exchange between them about what she said like there was in the book. After this scene in the book, Harry leaves wondering if he just heard Trelawney make a real prediction or if she just thought that would be an impressive way to end the test. He makes his way back to Gryffindor Tower and finds Ron and Hermione, who tell him that Buckbeak lost his appeal. Since there never was any appeal in the movie, they just got this point across in the next scene by showing the executioner. But why the hell are they just letting a friggin' executioner sharpen his beheading stick in the middle of a school courtyard? Like, that just seems all sorts of irresponsible. Imagine any first years walking by. Like, they legit shit themselves. I almost legit <laughs> shit myself. I mean, it made a good visual, but it definitely goes against what you were saying before about it being a kid's movie. Mm, true. In the book, they really want to go down and see Hagrid, but know they aren't supposed to leave the castle. Harry wishes he had his invisibility cloak, but says he can't go anywhere near the one-eyed witch statue. Hermione asks how to open the witch's hump, and when Harry tells her, Descendium, she immediately leaves to go get it. When she returns with the cloak, they sneak down to Hagrid's hut. In the movie, it's not sneaking down at all. They just blatantly walk through the courtyard and pass the executioner. But before they can get to Hagrid's hut, they run into Malfoy, Crab, and Slim Shady. Malfoy says, look who's come to see the show! And Hermione calls him a foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach, and points her wand at his neck. This is parallel to the scene in the book where Hermione slaps Malfoy. It's similar because she calls him foul and evil in the book, too. Yeah, the biggest difference, aside from when in the story it happens, is that the movie has her punch him, rather than slap him. And I said it before, and I'll say it again, I still wish they would have done the slap instead of a full-on punch. Me, too. Like, don't get me wrong, the punch is quite satisfying, and I love the way he sniveled while Hermione had her wand pointed at him, but I just really wish it would have been that heat-of-the-moment slap, just a crack across his face. Oh yeah, it was still a great scene, but I just think the book scene was better. Mm -hmm. I also liked where it was placed better, since they had to sneak down to Hagrid's hut. It didn't make sense there. Obviously, they changed it in the movie, but well, yeah, it just, the book was better. Yeah, the movie made it seem like they weren't really concerned about sneaking out there. Though later on, it does seem like they weren't supposed to be there. I mean, boy, good thing there's no mass murderer on the loose, else it would have been a lot more difficult for three students to just walk across the grounds without an escort or a guard troll or something. <laughs> In the book, they don't run into anyone else, and they make it all the way down to Hagrid's hut under the invisibility cloak without any distractions or interruptions. Hagrid tells them that they shouldn't have come, but still lets them in and offers them tea. So British. Right? <laughs> the movie shows that he made them tea as well. They walk past Buckbeak, who is lying down in the pumpkin patch. So I want to know why there's so many pumpkins. They've mm -hmm. made it very clear that it's springtime. 
We've had transitions that took us from winter to spring. Pumpkins don't grow until the fall, right? Is it different in the UK? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's the same. I guess this could be our Potter pondering, since that is a lot of pumpkins, really. Maybe some of our keepers have an idea. I mean, it does make a nice visual, but I still find it weird. It's a lot of pumpkins in the springtime. Mm. But the book says that he was tethered in the pumpkin patch. So maybe Hagrid had just planted them so they'd be big enough by fall? I don't know. Platter pondering. Yeah, so the movie keeps that true to the book, at least. Since that's where they have Buckbeak hanging out. And then it cuts to Harry and Hagrid standing at the window inside the hut, looking out at him. Harry says that they should just let him go, and Hagrid says they can't. They'd know it was him, and Dumbledore would get in trouble. In both, Hagrid says that Dumbledore is coming down to be with him, and Hermione says that they will stay with him too, but Hagrid insists that he doesn't want them to see that. In the book, he's struggling to make the tea so Hermione takes over, and ends up finding Scabbers hiding in the milk jug. The movie changes things a bit after this point, though, and has Hagrid fetch Scabbers from a flower tin and hand him to Ron. But how long was Hagrid keeping Scabbers in the fucking flower tin? Like, I hope he tossed whatever was in there. Yeah, that's pretty gross. So mm -hmm. is the milk jug. Yeah. He's just hanging out in there. That, what? I hope, does he use that? Did he? I mean, was there milk in there? I don't know. I, I, I don't think so, because she goes to pour the milk and find Scabbers. That's weird. Yeah. I don't, that's... I, I don't think that like the rat's just hanging out in milk, so it must have been empty. Maybe he was thirsty. Maybe. I don't know. Either way, I yet again, I'm not going to trust any of Hagrid's cooking. No. <laughs> but in both, Ron is really shocked that Scabbers is still alive. In the book, he asks him what he's doing there, which is a very good question. In the movie, Hagrid tells him that he needs to keep a closer eye on his plot point, and the sass leak gets to both Hermione and Ron, as Hermione tells Ron that he owes someone an apology. And he says that next time he sees Crookshanks, he'll tell him. Hermione sasses that she meant her, and their argument is interrupted by a jar breaking. This is very different from the book, but I honestly love this touch. It was very jarring. It's very jarring. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end up talking more about this later, though, so I'm not going to say too much about it right now. Yeah, Hermione picks up a fossil that must have flown in through the window to break the jar, and another one hits Harry in the head. This draws his attention out the window where he notices that the minister, Dumbledore, and the executioner are coming down the stone steps towards Hagrid's hut. Guys, let's get out of here. We're getting pelted with ammonites. <laughs> In the book, there are no rocks being thrown, and it's Hagrid who notices that they're arriving. He hurries them back under the cloak, and they argue with him about leaving, saying they want to stay and tell them what really happened. Hagrid ushers them out, and they hurry away until Ron stops dead, trying to keep Scabbers in his pocket. In the movie, they don't have the invisibility cloak, because, you know, why would they? It'd be useful. Right. <laughs> Crazy talk. <laughs> who needs usefulness? Hagrid just sends them out the back door and throws a blanket over something before letting Dumbledore and the others in. Now, I fully expect to see weird creatures around Hagrid, but even so, what the fuck was hatching out of that egg right next to Hagrid's bed? That should be our other Potter pondering. Works for me, because I fucking want to know. <laughs> that thing's weird as hell. It's also different in the movie because the trio hide behind a giant stack of pumpkins before running off, back up the stone steps. They stop at the top and watch as the executioner lifts and swings the axe, bringing it down with a thud. In the book, Ron is wrestling with a struggling scabbers, and even though he's squeaking wildly, they can still hear the swish and thud of the axe. Hermione sways on the spot and says she can't believe they did it. 
In the movie, she buries her face in Ron's neck and wraps her arms around him as Harry hugs her. And fun little fact, this is a reference to the poster from Itumama Tambien. Oh, is it? Yeah, because that poster had a girl with her arms around a guy and then another guy hugging her. And this was essentially the same composition as that. I did not know that. What a fun little Easter egg. Right? Also, when the promo photos for this movie came out, I remember me and my Harry Potter group being so mad over the fact that Hermione was wearing a pink hoodie and a rainbow belt because it just felt so unHermione to us. Yeah, I kind of missed the wizarding clothes this film. Mm -hmm. But this will bring us to the end of our compare and contrast section. And we do actually have a new actor that we can talk about. Peter Best played the executioner, Walden McNair. Peter Best. He's the worst. Well, McNair is the worst. <laughs> I thought Peter Best was delightfully creepy as the executioner. He really was. Yet again, it's the same idea as Filch. I don't want to run in him in a darkened corridor. Especially not with that axe. Hell no. The, no. But the way, like, you couldn't see much of him because of the mask and everything. But the way that he just, like, watched them and sharpened the axe as they walked by. I was you just like, tell. oh, my God. You're right. I did almost shit myself. Yeah, right? That's what I'm saying, dude. Like. Shouldn't hmm. watch that after coffee. No. <laughs> Probably not a good call, no. No. <laughs> but he didn't have a lot to do. No. But that, Just I mean, that was a big thing. Which and he did. He did. Well He done. was skinnier than I expected he would be, but I guess the book did describe him as tall and thin, so. Yeah. Even with that description, I just imagine the executioner being, like, beefy. Yeah. Well, you would think, because... To would, swing that with axe. The, yeah, yeah, with a big old axe, you would think they but would I, have to be. going through and rereading this, he was described as tall and thin, so... Young, tall, and thin. Well, I, don't, I didn't think he was young, so well, there's that. Well, they aged up all of the adults in the movies. So. Well, I have a theory on some of those, but we'll get we'll to get that. There. <laughs> but yeah, I thought he did good. He did a good job at being intimidating and it murdery looking. So, yep. well done, Peter Best. Well done. At being the worst. <laughs> <laughs> now we can move on to the Potter Pondering, and we have two this time. The first one is, why are there so many goddamn pumpkins in the springtime? <laughs> And our other one is, what the fuck was hatching out of that egg right next to Hagrid's bed? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Krista Dixon. She writes, I am a Gryffindor. My wand is yew wood with unicorn hair core, ten and three quarters inches, rigid and flexible. My Patronus is a dapple gray mare. I was in elementary school and I hated reading mostly because I couldn't really do it. My mom tried everything, but I wanted nothing to do with school or reading. Finally, after much persuading, I agreed to read a book with her that my sister and cousins loved. We took turns reading pages, and I struggled. The story started to peak, though, and I was instantly infatuated. I began to sneak extra pages. Eventually, I began reading them on my own. That's the year Harry Potter, with help from my mom, taught me to read and love books. My mom was put on hospice last month, and I read Harry Potter to her on her final days, just trying to say thank you for one of the billion things she gave me. I've escaped to Hogwarts whenever I feel some type of way. It's one of the ways I've gotten through the past month. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Krista. What an amazing bond that must have given you with your mother, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Aww. I'm not crying. You're crying, Ellen. I, I am crying, actually. I didn't like that, that choked me up a little bit. That was really, really pretty. And 
I love that. And I love that Harry Potter brought her a love of reading and brought her memories with her mom. And that's just amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media, since the pin post is now used for the weekly Potter ponderings. That brings us to this week's trivia question, which is, in the book, what happens to get the Whomping Willow to stop beating Harry and Hermione up? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag nearly trecapitated will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 17, Cat, Rat, and Dog, and the not-so-corresponding film scenes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.